Man, oh man, is it good to be in with you guys today. Welcome to the Above the Rim podcast. It is, of course, September 1st. It is Tuesday. I can't believe it's already September. Where has the time gone? And we've got so much to get through today in this show that I really don't know where to begin. We are going to get into everything that happened yesterday, of course, a little bit later on in the show. We'll also get into all the things that happened this weekend with the Lakers moving on and the Clippers also moving on. The Nuggets forcing a Game 7, which will be tonight. We will also preview that game. We will take a look back at the Celtics and Raptors Game 1, what I thought about that game, and if it makes me a little concerned about my Raptors pick, why or why not? We'll get into Game 7 today between the Jazz and Nuggets, like I said already we'll also get into last night's big game which was the thunder and the rockets another game seven force so just so much to get into here today let's just get this thing started now as you guys know i am in longmont colorado and at the time i am recording this it is 3 30 so that means the celtics and the raptors are about to get underway for game two so let's just start there with the show let me give you my reaction to game one of course the celtics won game one 112 to 94 and there were a few takeaways that i had Overall, I'm not too concerned about the Raptors. I know a lot of people seem to be, but my big takeaways were that the Celtics had six guys in double figures, and they had four guys to score 16 or more points. And when you look at the Raptors, they only had one guy score over 16, and that was Kyle Lowry. So they did not get the same type of production from their guys as the Celtics did. And look, the Raptors are going to need more from Siakam. He only had 13 points. That's not going to get it done in game one. But I do, like I told you guys last week in the show, I do think two things can be true. And in game one, two things were certainly true. And number one was the Celtics defense was incredible. No doubt about it. They were flying around. They showed their Celtic medal. That's how the Celtics play defense. That's how we're conditioned to see them really throughout history. They played hellacious defense. No doubt about it. But... In the same breath, I can also admit to you guys that the Raptors did not play very good offense. I was watching it. Kyle Lowry's start that game was very sloppy. He had like four turnovers within the first five minutes of that game. Just very sloppy pay play, excuse me, from the Raptors. And I think we can attribute a lot of that to some rustiness for the Raptors. I know when people ask me, are you afraid? Look, the Celtics have won four now against the Raptors this season. They're four and one against the Raptors. Look, I get all the numbers. I understand it, but I am not afraid yet. As you guys know, I picked the Raptors in seven. I'm not getting worried. I mean, I think the Raptors were rusty. You look at them, they finished out their series in a sweep, and then they had a rest there, and then they had the prolonged rest there as well because of the boycott. So, I mean, I, they came out a little rusty. It's to be expected. And game ones are always a feeling out game. It just turns out that the Celtics came out and punched him in the mouth early. I expect the Raptors to play a better game today. Nick Nurse will have these guys ready to play. Jason Tatum, again, wasn't too impressive last game. Only 19 points, I believe. So, nothing to worry about there. But one thing that is interesting about the Celtics that nobody's talking about is so far in these playoffs, they got three guys averaging over 20 points. That would be Jason Tatum at 25.8 points per game so just about 26 then Jalen Brown's at just about 21 points per game and then after that you got Kemba at just about 23 points per game so well anytime you got three guys scoring in the 20s you're gonna be in good shape I just think a lot of people are overreacting the Raptors I mean I mean I understand why though because the Celtics seem to have their number the Raptors have been 11 and 2 in the bubble and their only two losses so far have been to the Celtics and they were 1 and 3 versus the Celtics in the regular season 
I'm just hanging tough with the Raptors. I love Nick Nurse. I'm not going to switch my pick. I think the Raptors win in seven, and I think they win in game two as well. I think it's going to be close, but I think the Raptors get this one done 105 to 99. And really the key for me that I'm looking at at the Raptors is they lost all their games against the Celtics. All four games they lost against the Celtics this year, they gave up more than 110 points. So the formula is simple for the Raptors. You give up less than 110 points, you're going to win the game. That's why I got them winning tonight, 105-99. to 99. I think that defense shows up. And I know Nick Nurse likes to play that two-guard lineup, Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet, but I, what I would like to see is them go a bit bigger. And what I mean by that is you got to have Siakam with his length on the defensive end, and then you got to have Serge Ibaka and Marc Gasol all in at the same time, and maybe even an OG and a Nobi as well. I mean, you got to put guys on Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Kemba Walker that's going to bother them. It'll be interesting to see the adjustments that Nick Nurse makes. I just, I have faith in Nick Nurse. I saw him make adjustments all postseason last season. I think he'll do the same. That's why I got the Raptors winning game two. No need to panic over the Raptors losing game one, in my opinion. They were just really, really sloppy if you watch that game. I expect them to certainly tighten some things up tonight, and I expect Kyle Lowry and Siakam to play a lot better for the Raptors. All right, and with that, let's move into the first game seven of these bubble playoffs. Yes, I am talking Jazz. I am talking Nuggets. For those of you that didn't know, I picked the Nuggets to win this series, but I did say I felt like it was always destined to go seven. These teams are just really evenly matched. And you look at game six, of course, the Denver Nuggets have won two in a row. So they won game five, 117 to 107 there on August 25th. And then game six, they won 119 to 107. So both games winning by double digits. Maybe the Nuggets have found a little something here. And I, what I think they found is better defense. I mean, I've been on Mike Malone. I don't know how great of a coach he is because I don't see him make many adjustments, but this series He's made a few adjustments in how he's guarding Donovan Mitchell late here, and I think it's made all the difference. Jokic has got to stop going under the screens. He's got to go over the top. He's got to fight over the top. I know he's not known for his defense, but it's something he's going to have to do in order for them to win this series. And Jokic has actually had a good series. He's at 25 points per game, seven rebounds a game, almost six assists a game, off 51% from the field and 48% from three, which is astonishing, really. I mean, he's not that great of a three-point shooter, but he can make them, and 48% definitely shows that. But really, the guy for the Nuggets has been Jamal Murray. I'm looking at his last three games. He had 50, 42, and then another 50. Watching him and Donovan Mitchell go at it has been straight box office. Jamal Murray's averaging 34 points a game, six rebounds, and almost seven assists, which might be the most surprising stat of them all. And he's shooting 57% from three. I mean, that's ridiculous. And that, that is that is unheard of, really. And but when you look at Donovan Mitchell, he's shooting 55%. So, I mean, I guess it's really not unheard of. There's just a lot of offense going on in this series and not a lot of defense. Then you look at Jamal Murray's field goal percentage, 58%. That's great as well. Jamal Murray, he's he's been fantastic. I mean, there's nothing I could say. Averaging 34, like I said. I mean, he has proven me wrong. I I don't I didn't know that he could be this good. I really didn't. I didn't think he was. I felt like for the Nuggets to really make a splash and be contenders, he has to be the third best player on the team. But as I'm watching this series unfold, I'm starting to wonder if he's starting to become the man of the team. And what I mean by that is the team used to run really through Jokic a lot. And now Jokic is not getting the ball as much. He's not initiating the offense as much as he used to. That's all being done by Jamal Murray. But one thing does concern me about the way the Nuggets have played against the Jazz. And as Jamal Murray 
tends to get exhausted. And I, I don't know how he's feeling today, obviously. I mean, it's not like the grueling whole season. You had a like a four- or five-month break in between there and then another break due to postpone it in some games. So maybe he's feeling real good. Obviously, he's playing real good. I mean, he's playing great. But for the Nuggets to win tonight, the key for them is they got to stop Donovan Mitchell, number one. He's averaging 38 points per game. I mean, that, that's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. Like I said, a 55% from the three-point line and 54% from the field. So they got to do a better job guarding Donovan Mitchell. They got to trap him some, get the ball out of his hands, make someone else beat you. But the Nuggets really got to have someone else step up with Murray and Jokic to win this game. I'm looking at the Jazz. Look, Donovan Mitchell, like I said, averaging almost 39 a game. Mike Conley's there averaging about 23 a game. You got Jordan Clarkson averaging about 18 a game, which who knew you'd get that type of production from Clarkson? I didn't. And then you got Gobert averaging 16 and a half. And then you look at the Nuggets, their top two guys, of course, Murray and Jokic. Murray, like I said, averaging 34. Jokic averaging about 26. And then their next two guys are Grant averaging about 13 and Porter averaging about 12. The man who needs to step up in this game seven is Michael Porter Jr. I am looking at you. I believe in Michael Porter Jr. as a talent. I believe in him as a future star player. He's been abysmal on the defensive end. I get it. He looks lost out there, but tonight is a night where he needs to show up on offense. I am looking at you, Michael Porter Jr. I am looking at you to come out and you don't need to go off and score 30, 25, even you just need to give the Nuggets, I would say, maybe about 18 to 20 points. You need to give them that valuable third option where the Jazz say, hey, you know what? They just have too much. Because if you're asking me, even though this series was destined to go seven, I think the Nuggets talent-wise are a lot better than the Jazz. I mean, I really do. I think this should have been five or six game series in the Nuggets' favor. But the fact that they haven't played very good defense just it's ended their opportunity really because you look at their team they are more talented they really are and i think having gary harris back the last game really helped them and it gives them a boost that can't be undermined so it'll be real interesting to see what happens tonight you look at denver they're giving up 115 points per game or no they're scoring 115 points per game and utah scoring 119 so not much defense being played denver's got 57 percent from the field utah's got 60 percent. so denver's really got to step up that defense or else we're going to start calling them enver without the D because they do not play defense tonight. I expect another high scoring game and you know what? This is the first time I've really thought about who's going to win, but I'm sticking with the nuggets. I picked the nuggets to start the series and I will not jump ship. You guys know me. I don't jump ship unless I am really concerned. I'm not jumping ship. Now I got the nuggets winning tonight and I'll say it is one fifteen. To 109, the Nuggets get the victory and move on. I'm hanging tough with the Nuggets. Let's see what they do tonight. But I do think this has got to be a Michael Porter night. He's got to show up tonight. He's got to help his other two superstars there in Denver. We'll see what happens, though, because Donovan Mitchell has seemed to be on a roll and on a mission this year. So Nuggets have their hands full, but I just think overall they're just the better team. Now here's what I'm sure will be a hot take for most of my Denver Nugget fans. If they don't get this thing done here tonight, if they don't move on in this series, 
I really think it's time to let go of Mike Malone and look for someone else to coach this team. I mean, you got people like Nate McMillan out there waiting in the wings. Mark Jackson, for some reason, has not gotten another chance. And I don't know why, because he is what built that Warrior squad to what they are today. At least Stephen Clay. He told us way before we even knew that they were going to be the best shooters in NBA history. So obviously that guy's got an eye for talent. He's got a great eye for coaching. So when you got people like that, don't make me throw in Kenny Atkinson too. He's a great coach as well. When you got people like that waiting in the wings, Mike Malone better get this thing done. Or as I said, hot take coming in here for my Nugget fans. It's time to let Mike Malone go. I mean, if he doesn't get this done, this is a series he should win. I felt like they should have won last year against the Blazers. That might just be the Denver person in me, but I just feel like this team's a lot more talented than what they show, and I feel like not getting out of the first round would be severely underachieving for this team, which means that Mike Malone's not, the message isn't getting through, and he might have to go if the Nuggets don't get it done. But like I said, I'm hanging with the Nuggets. I think they do get it done in Game 7 and move on and go play Kawhi Leonard and the Clippers in Round 2. That Jazz and Nuggets series has been nothing but spectacular each game. And really the whole series, every time they play, it's a great game. And speaking of great games, let's move on to yesterday's games. First, I want to talk the Heat and the Bucks. And I couldn't give you guys my prediction before this series started because this the way it fell in between my shows. So I'll give you my prediction now. I said Bucks in six. Now you might be thinking, wow, after yesterday, you might be thinking you're crazy. Bucks in six, at least got to go seven. Now, here's my thinking on this. If it goes seven, the Bucs are in trouble, okay? If it goes seven, the Heat are going to win. That's why I picked the Bucs in six. I think the Bucs got to get this thing done in six. And I know they lost game one. It's going to be time to panic, but I'll remind you, in order for a series to go six, the Heat are going to have to win two games, okay? So they got that one game yesterday, and they were very impressive, but it's not all doom and gloom for the Bucs. Really, yesterday was a tale of two halves. I'm looking at the first half. The Bucs led at halftime 63-60, to 60, and Middleton, who Middleton came to play. I said in order for the Bucs to win this series, Middleton's got to join Giannis and be that second guy. He came to play in that first half 21 points, and so did Lopez with 19 points, but Giannis... Only nine points in the first half. And you look at Giannis for the game, only 18. I mean, that's where I'm going to focus most of my attention because I said Middleton's got to show up. And even though Middleton had 21 in the first half, ended up with 28. So he only scored seven in the second half. I mean, that's not great. But the fact that he gave you 28, I mean, if you're Giannis, that's got to be enough. I mean, you can't really expect much more from Middleton. And especially when Lopez gives you 24, that's a game the Bucks got to win. I mean, it really is that I mean, there's no other way to slice it, but I think the Bucks are fine. And the biggest reason why is I don't think Jimmy Butler's good for 40 every night. I really don't. I think that's an aberration. He's not a scorer. That's not what he does. He doesn't put the ball in the hoop like that. So I think that's an aberration a bit there. So I think the Bucks are fine. But you look at these stats for the whole game here, and look at the first half stats. The Bucs were 60% from the field in the first half. Well, they ended the game 49%. So obviously, the Heat defense really heated up in that second half, no pun intended. You know what I mean? And then the Heat were 46% from the field at halftime. They stayed at 46 So it was really the Heat's defense that really just amped up in that second half. And I'm looking at the free throws for the Bucs. Ooh, this is where they lost the game, the Heat. 25 of 27 from the free throw line, 92%. The Bucks were 14 of 16, 53%. Let's just do this math here. The Buc if they make, let's just say if they miss two free throws like the Heat did, so they go 24 out of 26. 
That's an extra 10 points, and we're talking about a 114 to 115 ball game. That changes the game. So when people bring up free throw shooting as a huge part of winning championships, it's not a lie. And Giannis Antetokounmpo's got to do better from the free throw line, and he's also got to take more than 12 shots. I mean, Giannis has got to be up in the 20 shots per game range if they want to win. Now, I'm not taking anything away from the Heat, but why I feel still very confident about the Bucks really is because Giannis played like crap, and they were still right in the thick of this game. I don't think Giannis is going to give you 12 shots and 18 points on the rake. I really don't. I think it's going to be more towards the 31 points per game, and he's going to have a huge impact on the defensive end. And speaking of the defensive end, I know what Giannis said. He said, after the game, I'll do what coach tells me. Well, the hell with that, sir. The hell with that. If you are that guy, if you are defensive player of the year and two-time reigning MVP, which I'm sure he will be, even though I said I would pick LeBron James, doesn't matter. He's going to be the two-time reigning MVP. If you are that guy, then you tell your coach, hey, I'm taking Jimmy Butler. You figure out where to put Chris Middleton because Jimmy Butler is not doing anything anymore. You got to put a stop to it. Giannis is lengthy enough. He's athletic enough. He's big enough. If he goes on Jimmy Butler, he's going to cause some real problems for the Miami Heat. I don't know why he didn't do that. I look for that to happen in game two. But one concern, if I could just pick out one concern I do have for the Bucks, it is that I just think this team might just be a little mentally weak. You know what I mean? I think we saw a little bit last year. I think we did against the Raptors, losing losing those games. After going up 2-0, they lose four straight. And I think we saw after this game, look, Giannis is not someone that gets chirpy with, with the reporters, but he did after this game talking about not guarding Jimmy Butler. He said, well, you know, if the coach tells me to do it, I'll do it. He kind of got a little snippy with the reporters, and that's not a good look for Giannis because that's not his personality. So what that's showing me is Giannis is feeling the pressure. He feels the pressure. He doesn't want to go out like he did last year, and he's feeling it bad right now, man. He is really feeling it, especially since game one looked a lot like those last four games against the Raptors last year. And one thing I'm seeing from Giannis that he needs to do in order to take his game really to the next level is he needs to get himself a go-to offensive move. Your go-to offensive move can't be give me the ball and I'm going to try to drive in the lane because when you play teams like the Heat, like Coach Spo, and like the Raptors last year who have the personnel to stop you, they're going to build a wall and you're going to have to find something else to affect the game at, especially with scoring. I think the Heat did a great job building that wall yesterday. And I think Coach Bud, Bud he's got to do a better job getting Giannis in favorable situations. I think Giannis has got to be in the post a little more where you get him the ball down in the paint. And I think he's got to be the screener on a lot of screen and rolls because when he's a screener, like Van Gundy said on the telecast yesterday, he gets great offense and he gets great offensive looks. And that's good for the Bucks. That builds confidence for him. So that's on Coach Bud. Coach Bud's got to put him in better situations to score the basketball. And if he doesn't this year, much like my hot take with the Nuggets, it might be time to look for somebody else because you have Giannis. Giannis is a good enough player. If you make plays tailored for him to get easy buckets, he will get easy buckets. So that's on Coach Bud. We'll see what happens. Obviously, like I said, Giannis, he's going to have to take Jimmy Butler just for the team's sake. I mean, I mean, it just gives confidence to the team when they see their best player take out 
the other team's best player. And I don't mean like injure him. I mean, just like, just take him out of their game. I mean, I think if Giannis guarded Jimmy Butler for most of the game, I think Jimmy Butler would have a lot of problems and that would lead to a lot of problems for the heat. But Giannis really needs to get himself a go-to move. And that's one of the things that concerns me about the Bucks is if they really do pack that paint, the Bucks really need other people to step up like Middleton, like Lopez, like they did in the other game. And I don't know what's going on with Bledsoe. I don't know if he's going to play in game two, but I certainly hope he is because if he doesn't, then the Bucks might be in some trouble. But, you know, right now, game two, we're not going to have a show before that game. So I'm just going to predict that the Bucks win that game. I got the Bucks winning this series. I really do in six. I think the Bucks win game two. I think Giannis plays considerably better. And I think the Bucks defense finally shows that because let's just be honest, this Bucks team has not looked like the Bucks in the regular season. That I mean, they have not looked like the Bucks in the regular season in the bubble. The bubble, they've struggled mightily. They just haven't looked like that same team. In the regular season, they were winning games by 10-plus points. So, I mean, that's also a detriment to them because they weren't in very many close games. So I think if the Heat can keep the games close in the end, who knows? The Bucks might unravel because I do think the Bucks have some mental toughness issues. And I think Giannis actually showed it after that game one, getting chirpy with the officials. So I think the Bucks really miss that home crowd because when everything is just down and out, you can always count on being that one seed. You can always count on that crowd to have your back and get behind you and give you that energy and adrenaline to push through. But the Bucks don't have that right now. I still think they'll be fine. I don't think it's time to panic. I just think they're a better team than the Heat. They have been all regular season, and I'm banking that they will be in the playoffs as well. So I got Giannis and the Bucks winning game too. I think Giannis shows up big in that game. I think I think he's had time to sit and think about this one, and it reminded him a little bit of last year. And if you know Giannis, that's going to bug the living crap out of him. So look for him to have a big game too. I look for the Bucks to even up the series at one. It's going to be a long series. I mean, I, I might even be waffling my pick from six to seven. I mean, I, I, I really might. I'm not switching from the Bucks, but the Heat got some dogs, and the Bucks, I'm not sure if they do have some dogs. So... This is going to be a series, definitely, for the Milwaukee Bucks, for sure. Now, let's move on to possibly another mentally weaker superstar, perhaps. I mean, I don't think Giannis is very mentally weak, or if he is, I think he can get out of it. But one person that keeps showing me in the playoffs that they just... They keep collapsing, and their teams do as well. That's the Rockets. So we got to talk Rockets and Thunder game six. I told you once the Thunder got Westbrook back, I thought they would close it out. I thought they'd win in six. But if they weren't going to have Westbrook, I picked the Thunder in six. And now even with Westbrook, I'm thinking the Thunder might win in seven. You know what I mean? But one thing interesting about the Rockets is they have the number one ranked defense this far in the playoffs. They steal the ball. They don't have any rim protection, really. Most of that is just stealing the ball, playing scrappy, playing a little physical, especially P.J. Tucker. I mean, P.J. Tucker is great for this team. He really is. But let's move on to game six here. The Thunder win 104-100. to They force a game seven, obviously. And Chris Paul, I mean, good Lord. Can you say enough about this guy? 15 points in the fourth quarter, and he basically just took over the game. I mean, he basically just said, no, you know what, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, you're great players, but not tonight. 
Not tonight. And even with Westbrook back the last two games, the Rockets still find themselves in an unfavorable position, which just is beyond me. I mean, James Harden's got to get this thing done, right? But I have an interesting take on this series. I actually think Game 7, Russell Westbrook is under more pressure than James Harden. Now, let me explain this. We're talking about Russell Westbrook, who had Paul George for two years and exited the first round twice. Once, the first go-round, he had Melo as well, and they exited the first round against a rookie, Donovan Mitchell. Now, mind you, he's he was a great rookie. He had great numbers. He had a great playoff series, but still, a rookie. They went out that first round, and then they went out against, I would consider, one of Westbrook's rivals, which is Damian Lillard. They definitely don't like each other very much, so I would consider him a rival. They go out in that game, and now... Chris Paul, who's a rival of James Harden, might have them in this series. So a lot of pressure on Westbrook, more, I think, than on James Harden because Westbrook without Kevin Durant hasn't done much. Harden without Westbrook and Durant has at least made the conference finals. He's put up great numbers. He's done all that. So he has that working for him. Westbrook, on the other hand, does not. And Westbrook with those turnovers late in the game, I mean, it really costs teams. It really does. He plays so fast, so so fast that it's, he's out of control. He can't control himself. He has no idea what he's going to do with the ball. He just runs with it, and then he decides late, like, oh, am I going to shoot it, or am I going to go for a layup? What am I going to do? Am I going to pass it? And then all of a sudden, it's a turnover. He's just he's too erratic for me. He really is. And one thing I'm noticing from this series, if you really want to know why Kevin Durant, the Thunder, and Russell Westbrook, James Harden, went to one finals and never won anything. If you want to know why, what I'm noticing in this series, and even though I love Westbrook, I do, I do. But you want to know why they never won anything? It's because of Russell Westbrook. He's just too out of control. He doesn't understand situational basketball. But you know who does? Chris Paul. And you want to know why this would be a big hit to both Westbrook's and Harden's legacies if they lose this game seven? Harden's number one because he wanted Chris Paul out. You remember last year after the playoffs, he said, when they asked, what do the Rockets need to do? He said, you know what they need to do. Basically referring to, we need to ship Chris Paul up out of here and we need to get someone else in here. Well, James Harden, you got your wish. And not only that, you're playing Chris Paul in the first round of the playoffs. So you better deliver, man. You really better deliver, otherwise it's a big knock on your legacy. And Wes Westbrook, like I told you, it's a big knock on him. But I want to talk about Chris Paul for a second here. This guy was unbelievable. 15 points in the fourth. I'm looking at the Thunder. We're down 98-92 when CP3 hit that first three with three minutes and 33 seconds left in the game to make it 98-95. And then he comes back. And hits the game tying three with two minutes and 56 seconds left in the fourth. Are you kidding me? CP3 was fantastic. He really was. I know he gets a lot of hate from time to time for being a borderline dirty player or whatever, this and that. But CP3 was fantastic. And don't even get me started on the James Harden stare down at the foul line. Ooh, this man is getting in James Harden head. He's been his teammate. He knows possibly that James Harden could be a little mentally weak, a little mentally fragile. So what does Chris Paul do? What he does best, baby. He tries to get in James Harden's head. Now, when I saw that stare down between CP3 and Harden at the foul line last night, I thought of one thing, and I already mentioned it. It was when James Harden said, 
you know what we need to do last year referencing getting rid of Chris Paul. So I know Chris Paul's thinking about that. Chris Paul's taking this very personally, and I know he's salivating right now. He would love nothing more than to send James Harden home, and he's definitely trying to do his part. But here is my big takeaway from last night's game. I know we already talked about it a long time, so it's like, wow, you're just getting your takeaway now. But I am going to get into my big takeaway now. And my big takeaway from that game is that the Rockets are still pretenders trying to go to Halloween dressed as a contender. You know what I mean? If you ask the Rockets what they are for Halloween every year, they always say, oh, we're a contender. And everyone was saying in the bubble, oh, they had a great bubble. Great scrimmage games were fantastic. They, they are, they're contenders. They're real contenders. No, they're not. <laughs> no, they're not. This is what the Rockets remind me of. They are like a knockout artist boxer, all right? Like a power puncher, all right? If they hit those threes, ooh, they got that knockout power, baby. They will knock you out, and they will take you to the rafters. I mean, they will do anything. I mean, they will blow you out of the gym if they get that knockout punch right in there. But the thing about the Rockets is if they don't get that knockout punch, if those power punches don't work, if it goes into the late rounds, if it goes, if the series goes long, if the game goes long and is tied, they struggle, man. They struggle because they don't do anything other than hit the three. Like a knockout artist, knockout artists don't do anything other than knock people out. They're not technically sound. You look at the Rockets, they're certainly not technically sound. They don't fuck, I mean, they don't play defense. They don't rebound the basketball. They don't do any of those things. So it is just like a knockout artist of a boxer. That is what the Rockets remind me of. They have that, they have the power. If they catch you, they catch you. Get out of the way. But if it goes late, if it goes in the later rounds, they're in trouble. And that's what they remind me of. Their execution isn't great down the stretch. Westbrook's turning the ball over. James Harden seems like he doesn't want the ball because last night he just let Westbrook take it, even though Westbrook's missed a few games. And in the Rockets' defense, Westbrook minutes have been limited because of the quad. But you know, I mean, I don't think that's really much of an excuse. I mean, the Rockets had this series, in my opinion, even without Westbrook. They had this series. James Harden was dominating, and they were hitting threes. But this is my problem with the Rockets. I've told you all along, if they do not hit their threes, they're not a great basketball team. And if you leave it close in the fourth, they're not great because the other team can just get rebound after rebound, second chance after second chance. And I know a lot of people, you know, they say if the Rockets move on, man, they're going to cause trouble for the Lakers. They're not going to cause trouble for the Lakers. I mean, that's going to be a bad matchup for the Rockets. It would be a good matchup if the Lakers had maybe Joel Embiid instead of Anthony Davis because the Rockets like to run up and down the court, and Joel Embiid can't really do that. But Anthony Davis is kind of a slimmer big man, so he can run the court, and he can do all those things that Joel Embiid can't do. So it's a bad matchup for the Rockets. I, I mean... I know a lot of people thought they could be contenders. I never believed in the Rockets. I never believed in the small ball because, I mean, they're going to shoot 63s a game, and if they don't hit at least 20 of them, they're in trouble. They're in big, big trouble because they don't do anything else, just like a knockout artist in boxing. They don't do anything other than knock people out. So if they can't get the knockout and it goes to the judge's decision, 
they are in trouble. And that's what I see with the Rockets right now. I'm going to stick with the Thunder. I picked them in six. Even though when Westbrook came back, I said, oh, you know, I don't feel good about it. I feel like the Rockets can win. But the fact that they didn't win game six shows me that the Rockets are still pretenders and not contenders. So that is why I will take the Thunder in a game seven. And you best believe if it's a close game seven, Thunder are winning that game. I mean, the Thunder are the best closeout team in basketball, best fourth quarter team in basketball in close games. And if it's close, the Thunder are winning. Mark my words. So in order for the Rockets to win, they really got to hit their threes and they got to blow the Thunder out, in my opinion, by double digits. If not, they're in some real trouble. And James Harden and Russell Westbrook's legacies will take a massive hit from this series, for sure. And CP3's legacy will go massively up, if you can believe that. All right, and with that all out of the way, we can finally get a little bit into this weekend's games. Obviously, we saw the two LA teams from the West advance this weekend. The Clippers beat the Mavericks this weekend, Sunday afternoon, 111 to 97. And I guess since I'm already talking about it, we'll go ahead and start there. Kawhi Leonard was fantastic 33 points, 14 rebounds, 7 assists. Paul George again was suspect after having after having excuse me a great game five he comes out with 15 points and nine rebounds and seven assists so Paul George like I said I told you last game five I said he had a great game he was due yes he was but I think that's more of a blimp than a trend because I've seen him in the playoffs I've seen it all too much. All too much. I've seen Paul George disappear in the playoffs. And let's go ahead and look at some playoff numbers for the Clippers because my big takeaway from round one was Kawhi Leonard was really impressive. He left off right where he did last year with the Raptors and having a great postseason, one of the greatest of all time. He's doing the same thing here. But what also caught my eye about the Clippers is that nobody else is impressing me. Not the defense, not Marcus's Marcus Morris's tactics to try to get the other player out. I mean, if you don't think Marcus Morris is a dirty player after him beelining and stepping or beelining, excuse me, and stepping on Luca's ankle and trying to injure it, and then the very next game, basically whacking him upside the head. I mean, if you don't think he's a borderline dirty player, then you don't know what you're talking about. That's obviously what they brought Morris there for. But I have sad news for Morris. If you tried that on LeBron James, it's not going to work. LeBron's seen it all before. He's dealt with Draymond Green. He's dealt with the great Warriors teams. He's dealt with the Spurs. He's seen it all before. So that may work a little bit on Luka Doncic, but it is not going to work on LeBron James. So I think the Clippers have some work to do there. But I'm looking at Kawhi Leonard. Like I said, he's the only guy that impressed me. 33 points per game, 10 rebounds a game, 5 assists per game, which is way up from last year. He's obviously becoming more of a a leader in that offense. What I mean by that, he's also becoming more of a playmaker is what I mean by leader in offense. So he's becoming more of a playmaker. Doc's trusting him a lot more this year. And then you also have 10 rebounds per game and the 2.3 steals. I mean, that's amazing. That is great for Kawhi Leonard. He's shooting 53% from the field, only 29% from the three, but the three doesn't bother me because I know he can hit that. Kawhi Leonard has been sensational. But when we go to his co-star, I mean, ugh. <laughs> I mean, I try to tell you guys every time. Everyone thinks I'm a Clipper hater. I am not a Clipper hater, man. I'm not. I understand Kawhi Leonard is great. I get it. I get it. When he's done with his career, he might even be an all-time great. I understand that. 
My problem's not with Kawhi Leonard. My problem's with Paul George, man. People keep saying this is the second running mate, and he's so great. Paul George continues to do this in the playoffs. I'm looking at his playoff numbers so far this year. 18 and a half points, 6.8 rebounds per game, so just about 7 rebounds per game and 4 assists. But this is what bugs me. 35% from the field and then 27% from the three. And I know when he got into his beef with Damian Lillard, he talked about his injuries. That's all great. That's all fine and dandy. But, bro, you had five months off to get those injuries right, okay? If <laughs> if you didn't have those five months off, you would have been playing in the playoffs about four months sooner than what you did. So that's not a valuable excuse to me. I just think Paul George mentally is just not very tough. He's not very strong. He talked about it going through depression, anxiety, and I'm not knocking him for that. I'm really not. I'm not knocking him for that. I, I applaud that he said it, but the problem is, is that he said it. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying? That's the problem. He basically told us that I'm a little mentally weak right now. So that's not good if you're a Clipper fan. I, I mean, I don't like that. Do you like that? I don't like that. I'm looking at Luka Doncic. Obviously, the Mavs have a great future ahead. I mean, other than Kristaps, I don't know what to think about Kristaps. He he was proving me wrong when he played this series, but then he had the slight meniscus tear. And the, the, I'm just starting to think this guy might be a little injury prone. He's obviously 7'3", very slender. He does a lot of banging around inside with a lot of power forwards. He just seems like he can't stay healthy. So I don't know what about him, but Luka Doncic... He, he was great. 31 points per game, 9 rebounds per game, and 9 assists per game. I mean, almost a 31-point triple-double. There's nothing more you can really say about Dodger. He was fantastic his first playoffs. I mean, he set records. That's what he did. But I'm looking at the Clippers' defense right now. They gave up 117 points per game off of 54% shooting from the field to the Mavericks. Now, this is a Maverick team, like I said, was without Kristaps for a lot of the series. And I go back to what I said. A lot of people think I'm a Clipper hater. I'm not. All I'm saying is all year, all I've heard everybody say on every sports show is, this is the greatest defense in the league. They have the two best perimeter defenders since Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. If that's the case, then all I'm asking is, why are you giving up 117 points per game off 54% from the field when Kristaps missed most of the series. That's all I'm saying. I think it is a viable question. I do. Other people don't for some reason. I don't know why, and I don't know when it will be a valuable question, but to me, it is now, and it raises red flags. That's all I'm going to say. And for the Clippers, I think they're hoping for the Jazz to win because that would be an easier matchup for them than the Nuggets. I think the Nuggets present a lot harder matchups for the Clippers, especially Jokic inside. I mean, who's going to stop Jokic? I mean, who? So they present a lot more problems, and really for the Clippers, they need to get Pat Bev healthy again. That, that's really the big thing for them is to get Pat Bev healthy one more time here. And I don't know how long it's going to take. I don't know how much luxury of time they have, but it's good that they close out the series. It gets Kawhi rest. It gets George some rest. Maybe he can rest his little mental issues that he's having right now because he's obviously having some in this bubble so, look, I mean, the Clippers, I picked them to win in five. I'm surprised it went six. I really am. I don't see how it did with Kristaps missing a lot of that series, but it did. I just, I raise red flags that I see from the Clippers, and a lot of people view that as haterism when it's really not. It's just me being completely honest. But 
with that out of the way, let's move on to the other L.A. team, and that is the Lakers this weekend. They moved on from their series against the Trailblazers. So, A.D., I want to talk about some A.D. here. I think I think A.D. needs to be talked about in this series. I really do. But first, I'll tell you guys the score. It was 131 to 122. Lakers got the win. They win in five. No Damian Lillard, of course. So, I mean, it was expected the Lakers would win. Melo showed out in that game looking like old Melo. But I really want to talk about A.D. A.D. Oh, my goodness. When this guy decides to be that guy, he's that guy. I mean, and I think the trick is for the Lakers and LeBron is to get him to be that guy. I'm looking at AD, 43 points and nine rebounds. Ooh, that is sweet. And I know he gets a lot of hate for not showing up in the fourth quarter. Well, he only got 10 in the fourth quarter and closed out this ball game. So I didn't hear much about that this week. That's neither here nor there. AD showed up. And playoff LeBron. Playoff LeBron showing up. He had 36, 10, and 10. I mean, I can I continue to tell you guys playoff LeBron is the best show in sports. It is the single best one-man show in sports because it is. And you want to know why? Because 36, 10, and 10 is something that this man in his prime in the playoffs, the biggest games of his career, has done continuously. Now, you could take out a few like first of his years and then the first year with Miami. But ever since then, we're talking basically from 2011 up. This man has done this in the playoffs. He has been a great playoff performer. He deserves his credit, man. He really does. I am so sick of Michael Jordan fans just ragging on this dude. Why can't we appreciate both, man? They are different players. They play the game differently. All right, we get it. You're either a Michael fan, you're a LeBron fan. We understand, but that does not mean you can take away from LeBron's greatness. He does great things in the playoffs. 36, 10, and 10. So far this playoffs, he's 27, 10, and 10. This is a 35-year-old man. 35! And he's doing this to these people, man. Then you got AD with 29 and 10 and 4? Average in the first round. These two guys are amazing. And in that game five, they combined for 79 points. I mean, this is why I picked them to win a championship. A lot of people think I picked them because I think the Lakers have the better team. That's false. False. I don't think they have the better team. All right? I really don't. I think the Clippers got the best team in the NBA when everything's hitting. But why I picked the Lakers is because LeBron James is the problem. I think he's one of the greatest of all time. You can put him one. You can put him two. It doesn't matter. He's in the conversation. It is between him and Michael. That's just the reality of the situation. All right? And then you got Anthony Davis, man, a top five player in the league and a top three player when he chooses to be. That's why I picked the Lakers. It wasn't because they got a better team. It's because their dynamic duo is far and above any other dynamic duo in the league today. And a lot of people always ask me, man, well, aren't you worried that AD seems to disappear in the fourth quarter of big games? And I'm not. I mean, I should be, probably. I mean, I might be a little crazy because I'm not. You know what I'm saying? 
but I'm not. And the reason why I'm not is because his teammate had the same reputation, which is disappears in the fourth quarter, isn't clutch, all this, blah, 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 blah. That was LeBron James at one point. A lot of people forget. Beginning of his career, that's what LeBron James was. That's what he was known for. That was his reputation. That's what AD's reputation is now. But he has LeBron James to ask for advice. And I think a lot of people don't make a big enough story about this, but LeBron James was dancing in the post game after that game five win after closing out the Trailblazers. Now, to the naked eye, it doesn't seem like a big deal. But to me, it's a big deal because who was there watching it? Who was there doing the post game interview at the same time? Anthony Davis. And what was LeBron James doing? Dancing around, you know? He's kind of showing Anthony Davis. He's being Davis's mentor like he has all year long. And he's showing him, hey, now's a time to celebrate. Now's a time to get loose. Get a little loose, baby. You know, we're moving on. It's round two. I just have the utmost respect for LeBron's leadership. And I think when it comes to Anthony Davis... He's been around the block, man. LeBron James has been around the block. He's going to tell AD what people are going to say about AD before they even say it. So he is the exact right person for AD to be getting that respect from or that, you know, those pointers from because LeBron's been there. He's been in the exact same position as AD. If you really think about it, they got the same reputation, man. Can't close in the fourth quarter. Generational talents, but can they get it done in the fourth? LeBron knows that. And I think LeBron is treating AD like he would have liked to have been treated when he was young to get him over the hump. So I got, I, I just, I have the utmost respect for LeBron at this point. I, I think he's playing great. I think AD's playing great. And I think AD's going to continue to play great. I really do. I think a lot of people like to hate on AD for heinous reasons. I mean, he's one of the – he's a generational talent. When he decides to be, he is a generational talent. And I think the job of LeBron James is going to be to get him out of that, especially come the Clipper series if they both make it like we all think they will. If they both make it like we all think they will, AD is going to have to dominate that series. And everything that's going on right now with LeBron and AD is he's trying to get him ready for that series. We've seen it all year. Feeding him the ball, giving him the ball over and over again, letting him take over the game, build that confidence. And then, like I said, it, it might go across as not a big deal, but LeBron dancing in front of AD that last series, that last series win was something big. He's mentoring this kid and he's grooming him and getting him ready for the conference finals and for this finals run. And I think AD will be all the better for it to be honest with you. I mean, there's no better person to get this advice from than LeBron because LeBron's seen it all. He's failed, he's succeeded, and he's failed again, man. And we've all seen it since he was a kid. We've all seen it. It's all been there. He's been criticized in AD. AD right now, like when he was with New Orleans, he wasn't getting criticized. Now he's with LA. He's going to get criticized a lot more and a lot more often, and it's got to be something he's got to get ready for. And he's got to respond. And I think LeBron's getting him prepared for those necessary next steps in AD's evolution and in AD's career. Now, I think the Lakers are rooting for the Thunder to win the series so they can have an easier second-round matchup. But I'm actually going to go out on the limb and say it would be better for the Lakers if the Rockets won because they have two perimeter threats 
much like the Clippers do, and it would just be a better series to get them prepared because I do think the Rockets are the better team overall than the Thunder. So even though the Lakers are rooting for the Thunder, I think the Rockets would actually be better for the Lakers to get them ready for the Clippers, especially since the Clippers might have to be getting ready for the Nuggets, who are a very good team in my opinion and will challenge them. And also the Clippers have already been challenged by the Mavericks. So I think the Lakers... They're going to root for the Thunder. I think they should want the Rockets, though. That's neither here nor there. But anyways, that'll do it for today's show. It is Tuesday, September 1st. It's finally September. It was a great show today. A lot to unpack. Thank you for being in there with me. We had a lot to go through. Obviously, Tuesdays are busy. We have to get through the weekend's games and everything that happened on Monday as well. So it's a lot to go through and everything of that nature. But I appreciate you guys being with me. And if you guys like the podcast, please give it a follow on Spotify. Add it to your favorites wherever you listen to podcasts. Share it around with all your friends and join in the conversation. It's a lot more fun when you guys want to join in the conversation and have an interactive community going at this with the NBA basketball and the NBA playoffs. So I encourage everyone to do that. But with that out of the way, Thursday we will be back. We will talk about Celtics Raptors game two. We'll talk about the two game sevens that are going to occur, and we might even get into some game ones with the Lakers and the Clippers maybe starting their second round, or they will be starting their second round series, excuse me, so we'll get into that as well, and I can't wait for that, so we will see you guys Thursday.